Jesus, we are so thankful for so many people who've partnered with us financially so that we can help plant churches around the world. Lord, thank you for Ken and Reith in India and how you continue to work through them to plant churches in village after village. We thank you for the Belpoan Church planted in a village, and we do pray that, that every member of the church there would be so excited about you, Jesus, that they would be sharing the gospel with others and that every household in their village would be reached for Christ. And as we pray for them, we pray for ourselves. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us. May we be so in love with you today that we have to go out and share the gospel with others, to share with others what we learned this week. Lord, help us to make disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples so that every household in our county would be reached for Christ too. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A couple of weeks ago, Karen and I were riding our bikes on the beach in uh, State Park and Karen had never seen the St. Augustine Inlet from the State Park side. So we rode to the end, and one of the things that struck me riding on the beach was how much bigger the dunes were than when I was a kid. They're a lot bigger, and what I noticed is there's a lot of vegetation on the dunes now that wasn't there before, and you do know what vegetation does on dunes, don't you? It, it stabilizes the dunes. The vegetation stabilizes the dunes so that when the wind blows, it doesn't blow all the sand away. Um, are there some winds blowing across our country today? Some winds blowing, are there? Do you ever ask what stabilizes a culture? Do you ever ask that? What stabilizes a society and keeps everything from being blown away? Two things that stabilize uh, uh, a culture. One is the church and the other is the family. Listen, two ch the church... And, and uh, the family both stabilize society, and they're both under attack in our culture today, aren't they? Have you been keeping up with John MacArthur and Grace Community Church in Los Angeles? You know what he's in trouble for? You know what John MacArthur's in trouble for? You know what? For meeting. Did you hear me? For meeting together. If you had told me one year ago that it would be controversial for a church in America to gather together, I would have said, have you lost your mind? But now he's in trouble. You know why the church is under attack? Because the Bible says the church is the household of God and the pillar of truth. It has truth. And there's another institution older than the church, which is the family. And the family is under a tremendous attack today. And, and so we're going to spend some time focusing on the family today. And if you're new, welcome but I want you to know where you are. This is a church, and I'm a pastor, and we believe the Bible is God's word, and so we open up the Bible to discover what God says about the family. And uh, here's, here's what we're going to explore today. The point of today's message is actually one of our core beliefs. It's that we believe the family is God's institution and the basic building block of human society. Will you say that with me? We believe the family is God's institution and the basic building block of human society. That's where we're going today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 24. And you, you know what we've been doing this year? We've been going through Genesis and we've been learning about patriarchs. Great men and women, but great men of the faith. And in the Bible, the word patriarch is a, it's a good word. <laughs> It's a good word in the Bible, a patriarch, but in our culture today, patriarch is what? It's a 
It's a bad word. One of the winds blowing across our culture is the desire to destroy the patriarchal family. But let me ask you a question. Would it be good to have more men in church? Would that be a good thing? That'd be a good thing. Would it be good to have more dads in homes? Would that be a good thing? It would, wouldn't it? So that's what we're going to be exploring today. We've been learning about patriarchs. They weren't perfect people. <laughs> oh, we've seen how flawed they are, but we've learned about Abraham, and uh, we learned about Adam, and, and Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham. Listen, they are patriarchs, men of the faith, flawed, but they believed in Jesus. And today we're like in a relay race, and we're in the exchange zone where the faith is being passed on from Abraham, one patriarch, to Jacob, the next. We're right in that exchange zone where Abraham arranges a wife for his son Isaac. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 24, and we'll start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> now Abraham was old, advanced in age. He was 140 years old. That's pretty old, right? And three years after Sarah had died, now Abraham was old, advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who has charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. Here's the mission. Very important mission. God said the Savior would come through Isaac. And for that to happen, Isaac needed a, he needed a wife. So he said, find a wife for Isaac. Don't take her from the Canaanites. And listen, don't take my son back to the land I grew up in. Here's the mission. Find a wife who can partner with Isaac to, to have a child who will be in the line to bring salvation to all the nations. That's the mission. Not a Canaanite. Don't take my son back where I came from. <clears throat> so the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. <laughs> I'm not sure all about That's how they would make an oath, okay? They would put their hand under the thigh. Seems weird to us, doesn't it? But, but do you ever stop and think, what do we do now that 100 years from now or 200 years from now, people will say what? What were they thinking, Right? Then the servant took 10 camels. So here, that's the mission. Now the mission is beginning to go. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of, the, of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So Nahor is Abraham's brother. And here's the journey that they would be on. He would go from Hebron to Nahor 450 miles on a camel. Ten camels, a caravan. Do you know how fast a camel can go? A camel can run 
40 miles an hour, but not with someone on it. Actually, in a caravan, they would usually make two to three miles an hour for eight to 15 hours a day. So they would cover about 40 miles in a day. So if you go 450 miles, it's a what? It's a 12-day trip. So a 12-day trip going from Hebron to, to Nahor to, to accomplish this mission. So they get there. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Know what people talk to me about the good old days? Come on, women, would you like to have to go and get the water? You know what I did this morning? I got up and I just turned the faucet and water came out. Is that cool? Are you thankful for that? Women, there was a time that women had to go out and get water, water for their family to drink, water for their animals, water to bathe in. Wow. We just turn on a faucet and there it is. So it's evening time. The women would come out to draw water. The, the servants there, this will be a good place to find a wife for Isaac, right? Because all the women will come out. But how will I know which one? So he prayed. He said, Oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one you have appointed to your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master." Picking the right wife for Isaac was important because the Savior would come through uh, their descendants. And so he prays, God, show me the right one. May she be the one who, when I say, give me a drink, she says, I'll get something for you and your camels. Now, hospitality at that time would have been to offer water to a stranger. That would have been what was expected. But listen, what went way beyond that was to get water for their camels. Remember how Jesus said we're to go the second mile that would definitely be a second mile thing. That would show Isaac this was the right, or the servant, this was the right one. Uh, <clears throat> then the servant took, oh, I, I read all that. Sorry about that. There's a lot of verses here. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor came out with her shoulder, with her jar on her shoulder. So out comes Rebecca. She's got water on her shoulder. And I get a little confused with family terms once you get belong your cousin or your aunt. But I believe, I believe this is correct, that Rebecca is Abraham's great niece. That Rebecca is Abraham's great niece, and she is Isaac's second cousin. Uh, I'm easily confused, but I believe that's correct. Now notice the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. Uh, so she's beautiful, and then it seems like something is repeated twice. First it says a virgin, and then it repeats, and no man had had relations with her. This is why that's so important. God said the Savior would be one of Isaac's descendants. And so if the servant was to bring the woman back and she was to have a child, they wanted to make sure that the child was actually... Isaac's son, right? So that's why it mentions that twice there. So she's beautiful, uh, a virgin, no relations with a man, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. 
Now, I want you to notice that when I think of a well, I usually think there's a crank and you lower a bucket down and come up. But it seems like this well, there was a spring at the bottom and you'd walk down steps, fill up your jar, and then bring the jar up. Okay, see how she went down? Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar uh, to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will also draw for your camels until they have finished drinking. Um, Can you imagine he had just prayed that and it happened exactly like he prayed? So she quickly emptied the jar into the trough and and ran back to the well to draw and she drew for all the camels. Now, I studied a lot about camels this week. Do you know that a camel can drink 40 gallons of water in a few minutes? And let's just imagine, let's imagine she's walking down the steps with a five-gallon jar. That would be 42 pounds plus the jar's weight. It's probably at three gallons, but let's just say it's 45 pounds, and she's got five gallons, and a camel drinks how many gallons? So that means how many trips for each camel? Eight times ten. That means 80 times... 80 times she's going down the well carrying this in the jar and then coming back up with 45 pounds 80, 80 times. Um, and what's the guy doing? What's the servant doing? Now the man was gazing at her in silence. <laughs> Isn't that creepy? <laughs> Isn't it? You're a lady, you're, you're, you're ours, you're carrying this water up the well and he's just looking at you. And you know why? He had to get it right. He wanted to make sure he had the right woman for Isaac because they would be in the line of the Savior to bring salvation to the nations. <laughs> this is so good. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. And I'm picturing what would happen to me in my marriage if I was watching Karen bring water into the house for hours and didn't what? Didn't help, didn't get up and help, and he doesn't help. He's just watching, right? When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing a half shekel. Uh, It's for her nose and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing ten shekels in gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Um, And then he says, Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? Can, Can I come to your house for dinner? He invites himself over, doesn't he? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Listen, we've gathered to worship publicly, but all of life for a Christian should be worship. He comes. He wants to find the right wife. He prays. Then when God answers his prayer, he worships the Lord, doesn't he? Is that us praying and worshiping continually? Then the girl ran and told her mother's household, about these things. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to meet the man at the spring. Notice this man, Laban, as we move through Genesis, we'll run into him again. 
When he saw the ring and the bracelets of his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. Come and eat, come and eat. And he says, no, I, I want to share with you why I'm here first. I, I want to take care of business first. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and male and, and maids and camels and donkeys. Listen, I'm here representing a very rich man, Abraham. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he's given him all that he has. He's the heir of all that Abraham has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me. He said, The Lord before whom I have walked will send the angels with you to make your journey successful, and you will take a wife for my son, for my relatives, and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. If they do not give her to you, you will be free from my... So he says, Listen, I am here to arrange, to arrange a... to get a wife for Isaac. And so it was an arranged marriage. And we say what? That's weird. Often when I've shared with people about arranged marriages, they say, that's weird. I say, well, how well does our plan work? How well is our plan of a romantic marriage? How well does that work? Is that working really well? So, so they were arranging a marriage for Rebecca and for Isaac. So I came today to the spring and said, O oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, Behold, I am standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, Please let me drink a little water from your jar, and she will say to me, You drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulders and went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed low and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So will you give her to Isaac to be his wife? Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you, bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So, yes, you can take her to be Isaac's wife. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. 
The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. Mission accomplished, they ate, drank, spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master, it's time to go. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10. <laughs> I like that, don't you? Let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10. Afterwards, she may go. He said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. No, I want to go now. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. This is the first time Rebecca gets to speak into the situation. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Can you imagine that? You go out to the well one night to draw some water. And when you're at the well, you meet this guy you've never met. And he tells you about a rich guy that you have a chance to marry. And the next morning, you get up and you leave your family, perhaps never to see them again, to go 450 miles away to marry someone that you've never met. That's what she did. Thus, they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. And uh, so they blessed her, and hasn't that become true? I mean, she would marry and have children, and all who believe in Christ are now her descendants. Aren't they tens of thousands? Aren't they? Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Twelve days back, right? You're on the donkey and you're wondering what? What's he like? What's he like? What's the rest of my life going to be like? Twelve days to think about it? Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Lahat Roy, for he was living in the Negev, the south. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, went out to spend some time with the Lord, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. He could tell they were coming, and now he's thinking, wow, was his mission successful? Was his mission successful? Um, they were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he is my master. <laughs> You're Rebecca, right? Wow, this is the one I'm going to marry. What is this going to be like? Um, then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's tent. He, he put her in his mother's tent till they could arrange the wedding. And he took Rebecca. They were married. And she became his wife. And he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Come on, women, do you like a love story? Do you? Did you know that the longest chapter in Genesis, the longest chapter in Genesis is a love story? It's here comes the bride, right? How God, how God found a wife for Isaac and brought her. And listen, Isaac and Rebekah would have a child named Jacob, and they would have a child, and they would have the child all the way to Jesus who brings salvation to us. This is a part of our story. It's a part of our story, how God brought uh, Rebecca to Isaac so that they would have a child so we could be here today. Huh. So, so 
we read the story and kind of back where I started, uh, the point of the message today is that we believe that the family is God's institution. So I, I want you to understand we, we believe the family is God's institution. It didn't come from Europe. It's not a Western construct. It's not a human construct. Listen, the family is God's instituted institution. And, and do you realize the Bible begins with a wedding? Did you know that? The Bible begins with a wedding. The way my wife tells the story is God made the man, looked at him, took one look, said, I can do better. <laughs> made the woman right. And then he instituted marriage, didn't he? In Genesis 2, uh, what do we read in Genesis 2, verse uh, 24? For this reason, for the purpose of marriage. Now notice it says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God instituted marriage to be the permanent union of one man and one woman. And now recently I did a wedding in do you know in the state of Florida what a wedding license has on it now? It used to have bride and groom. And you know what it says now? It says spouse and spouse. Listen, God's institution, God's institution was one man, one woman for life. Did you know the Bible begins with a wedding because the family is God's institution. The family is older than the church. The family is older than civil government. It was instituted on the day of creation. Did you know that Jesus' first miracle was done at a wedding? Did you? Did you know that? In John, in John chapter 2, when Jesus is beginning his ministry, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So his first miracle, right? At a wedding, turning the water into wine. Did you know that was his first miracle? So the Bible begins with a wedding, right? Jesus' ministry begins with a wedding. Do you know how the Bible ends? You, you probably do now, right? It ends with a, come on, it ends with a wedding. Did you know that? Chapter 4 of the great story is called Consummation. Everything in history is moving toward the wedding of the ages and we're invited. In Revelation 19, look at this. This is so good. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. <laughs> oh, history's consummation is the groom Jesus and his bride coming together for the marriage of the ages. And why are we here on earth? We're here on the earth as the church to prepare the bride for the wedding of the ages. And I want you to know why I love the church. I love the church with all of her flaws. You know why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. And history is about preparing the bride for the wedding of the ages. Listen. We believe that marriage is God's institution and the basic building block of human society. Marriage and family lead to human flourishing. It leads to human flourishing. Listen, the family is good for men. It's good for men to get married and have children. It helps them to grow up. Marriage and family are good for women to get married and have children. It's good. It's good for children to grow up with their mom and dad. The family is good for single people. And you say, why? Because families stabilize society. And listen, if people got married and stayed married, then your taxes would go down because there wouldn't be so much welfare. Did you realize that? 
And listen, if marriages stayed intact, there'd be less crime, so it would be safer to live in. So for single people, you should really long for strong marriages and families because it's good for single people. It's good for churches. It's good for churches when there's strong marriages and families. It's good for society. So I want you to know that we believe that the family is God's institution and the basic building block of human society. But I want you to know, we also believe that none of us have done family right. Did you know that? None of us have done family right. In Romans 3, verse 23, will you read this verse with me? It says what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've not done family right. I didn't honor my father and mother. Have you always honored your father and mother? Man, I've not done marriage right. I've failed so much of a, as, a, as a husband. Have, have you done marriage right? Listen, I didn't do parenting right. Have, have you really done parenting right? Listen, none of us have done it right, right? We're all flawed, aren't we? So listen, listen, the family is God's institution, but none of us have done it right. And all of us, everyone in here, everyone in our country, we all need Jesus because none of us have done it right. Oh. Listen, in 1 Peter chapter 3, this verse is so good. We have an amazing Savior named Jesus for Christ. Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is God the Son who put on flesh and came to earth because none of us have gotten family right. For listen, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. The only one who ever got family right was Jesus. He's the only one who always honored his father and mother. He's the only man who never took advantage of a woman sexually, never had a lustful thought. He's the only one who got family right, right? And because he had never sinned, he could die for all of us who've gotten it all wrong. Listen, Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust. The one who did it all right took upon himself the sins of those who messed it all up. So that why he might bring us to God. Oh, man, that he might bring those of us who failed to God, uh, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and, and then he rose. And he pursues us. He pursues people who've messed it all up. And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus says, Listen, I want to move into you and forgive you for all the ways you failed. And he says, I want to do life with you. I want to do eternity with you. Listen, I want to move into you and help you. I want to help you have a happily imperfect marriage and family in this life, okay? So, so listen, if you've not gotten it all right, won't you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Won't you say, Lord, I've not done it right, and, and, and I'm sorry, and, and I believe you died for me, and, and, and I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life, and he will. How well are you doing running your family, hmm? Could you use some help? Why not surrender and say, Jesus, you take over. You lead and I'll follow you because you're the only one who got it right. Won't you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord? And, and if you have, I want you to hear what Jesus said. I will commend him. He's moved into you. And you know why he's moved into you? To help you enjoy a happily imperfect marriage and family. A happily imperfect marriage and family. Oh, what have we learned so far? We have learned so far that um, 
We believe the family is God's institution, the basic building block of human society. None of us have gotten it right, and we all need Jesus. Jesus, move in and help us. And when he does, then this week, your action step, I want you to take three steps to a happily imperfect marriage. To a happily imperfect marriage, three steps. And some of you say, well, I'm not married. These three steps work equally well in your office. The steps I'm about to talk about marriage, they'll work in your office. They'll work on your team. They'll work in your small group. They'll work wherever you are because you'll face people that are hard to love no matter where you are. Okay, so don't tune out just because you're not married. Now, first of all, Jesus can help us experience a happily imperfect marriage. Part of enjoying marriage and family is having a reasonable expectation of marriage, okay? You see, there's always two cliffs to fall off, and some people today, they're so down on marriage. Listen, I'm never getting married. It's just a human construct. It's just a piece of paper. No, that's not it. But other people have a very unrealistic expectation of marriage. We're going to get married and live happily ever after with no challenges. That's not true either. A lady once told me, and it was so perfect, she said, Smiley, Jesus enables my husband and I to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. Yes. Everything in this life is broken. We're broken. The workplace is broken. The family is broken. But Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. And you know what? In the next few weeks, we're going to get to learn a little bit about Rebecca and Isaac. Their marriage was not perfect. It was very imperfect. But they were able to stay married and have a happily imperfect marriage. And that's what we're going to learn how to do too. Three steps, very simple, especially the first one. Step one is I didn't marry Jesus. Are you married? Have you come to realize that yet? Uh, I heard a yes over here. You know, you get married and and then you come to this realization that I, I didn't marry Jesus. This person doesn't always do what I want them to do, right? Maybe you found out on your honeymoon. Maybe it's been the quarantine, right? You kind of were getting along until you were together all the time. And you said, I like them in little bits, but not all the time. Step number one in having a happily imperfect marriage is to realize I didn't marry Jesus. And of all people, of all people on earth, we should be the least shocked that our spouse is flawed because we believe what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why are we shocked when our spouse is flawed? Why? Don't we say we believe that people are sinful? That includes who? Our spouse. That's step number one, I didn't marry Jesus. Step two, harder for most of us, step number two is I'm not Jesus. I'm not easy to li live with. Listen, I'm hard to love. Why is that hard for us to understand? Shouldn't we of all people understand how hard it is for our spouse to love us? Because what? We believe what? For all have sinned and fall short, and that includes us. Let me tell you, I am really hard to love, and I know you say, oh, yeah, that's true, that's true. Let me show you how petty I am. Um, my wife has a rule that if I take the last of something, I'm supposed to go to this list and write it down. Just like I have an amazing ability to disappoint people and an amazing ability to hit every red light red, I have an amazing ability that if I get a spoon of sour cream, it's the last spoon. If I take a jalapeno, it's the last. So I'm trying to eat, and everything I take is the last one. And then listen to this. You'll feel sorry for me. I have to walk three feet across the kitchen. 
Thank you. Three feet, griping and complaining the whole way. This is the stupidest thing ever. While I write on a list, sour cream, jalapenos. And then I think, huh, I walked three feet. My wife takes the list, puts it on her list. She gets in the car. She goes to the grocery store. She buys it. She brings it home. She puts it in the refrigerator for me to eat, and I'm whining and complaining. And know what that makes me realize? I am really hard to love. And you know what? It's not just me. It's true of all of us, isn't it? I mean, can we talk? We're hard to love, right? And if you get to step two, if you get to step two, you are well on the way to a happily imperfect marriage. A lot of people never get to step two. They stop at step one. Step one, I'm not, I didn't marry Jesus. Step two, I, I'm not Jesus. Step three, I need Jesus to love my deeply flawed spouse. You know why we gather on Sunday morning? It's not because we're good, it's because we're not. The reason we're here is we need help to love our spouse, to keep our marriage together, our family together, don't we? Know why I get up and spend time with Jesus every day? It's not because I'm good. If I was good, I wouldn't need to. I get up because I need Jesus to love my wife and my children and you and you me. And know what happens when we spend time with Jesus? Oh, this is so good. In Luke 6, in Luke 6, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? See the word credit? That's the Greek word charis, grace. What grace is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Jesus said, if you love your spouse, when, you love, when they love you, big deal. Everybody does that. People who've never tasted of God's grace, they love their spouse when their spouse loves them. Jesus says, big deal. He says, you want a medal? He says, if you do good to those, if you do good to your spouse, when they do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you do good to your spouse, when they do good to you, who cares? Everybody does that. Don't you know that? People who've never tasted grace are nice to their spouse when their spouse is nice to them. If you lend to those, if you lend to your spouse, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Do you keep score? I mean, do you, think, do you think, do things for your spouse hoping they'll do something back to you? He says, listen, people who've never tasted God's grace, do that. How are you different from people who've never tasted God's grace? But love your enemies, even when you're married to them, right? And do good. And lend, expecting what? Nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to, to who? Ungrateful and evil men. Now, when Jesus says that, who do you think He's talking about? Who are the ungrateful and evil men? Yeah, it's, it's me, and it's you. You know what'll change your marriage? when you realize you're an ungrateful and evil person and Jesus loves you. And when you've experienced his love, then you can express your, his love. When you've experienced his love as an ungrateful and evil person, you can love your spouse when they're ungrateful and evil too. You know what it means that we run to Jesus? It means, first of all, we run to Jesus so that he can love us so we can love our spouse. 
What I mean when we run to Jesus, if we say, well, what does it look like? What does it look like to love ungrateful and evil people? Jesus says, what? Follow me and I'll show you. What does Jesus show us? He's on the cross. And what's he saying to ungrateful and evil people? What's he saying? Give it to them, Father. What's he saying? He's saying what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they... Is that what we do when our spouse wrongs us? Do we? Do we respond the way Jesus did? And thirdly, and I want you to hear this, the third thing Jesus does for us is he gives us a purpose big enough, big enough that we want to love our spouse when they're the most unlovely. Because I want you to hear what Jesus is saying here. There's only one time that a Christian marriage is different from a marriage that isn't a Christian. Only one time. No, it's not because you're in church on Sunday. Lots of people who aren't Christians go to church. The only opportunity you have to be different from the marriages around you is when you love your spouse when they're the most unlovely. When your spouse treats you wrong and then you love them, you show them, you show your children, you show your nature, neighbors that you have experienced the grace of God. Oh, so listen, what I want you to do this week is when you wake up and spend time with Jesus, and listen, if we want to enjoy marriage and family, we need to spend time with Jesus. We won't do it without him. Then I want you to wake up and spend time with him and just each day this week, Jesus, I didn't marry you. Jesus, I'm not you. I'm hard to love and, and, and I need you. I just want you to start every day this week doing that. And let me ask you a question. Do you think sometime this week your spouse will disappoint you? You think so? And if you're not married, you think someone on your team this week or someone uh, at work will disappoint you? You think that'll happen? And what I want you to do this week, when that happens, like every other week, I want you to say, yes. Yes. This is my opportunity. This is my opportunity to show my spouse that I have been loved by Jesus. This is my opportunity to show my children and to show my neighbors that I have experienced the grace of God. Lord, help me to love my spouse the way you have loved me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world to get family right because we all got it wrong. Thank you. Thank you for honoring your father and mother. Thank you for treating women with respect. Thank you for living a perfect life so you could die on the cross in our place for our sins. And thank you for rising and thank you for offering us eternal life. Listen, if you're here today and and you'd like to be forgiven, you'd like help in, in having a happily and perfect marriage or family or team or office, Jesus is here. Won't you receive him? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose, and I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, I pray for those of us who know you this week that, that we would wake up each day and we would remember we didn't marry Jesus and we're not Jesus, but oh, we need you. And Lord, I pray.
pray this week. Just like the servant prayed and you showed up with exactly what he prayed, I pray this week that when we're disappointed by our spouse or others, we would say, this is that opportunity we have to show others that we have experienced the grace of God and may we love the way we've been loved. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.